This morning's text comes from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, and later in chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and sisters, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. You stiff necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Please join me as we pray over the teaching this morning. Dear God, thank you for all who are gathered here today to hear words of courageous and mighty men, but men who were merely men, not strong in their own strength, but empowered by the Spirit to do mighty deeds, to proclaim your gospel in spite of persecution. God, I pray that you would impress upon each and every one of us your spirit, your power, your direction to proclaim your gospel, to be a witness, and to show your light to this world. In Jesus' name. inspire you? Um, Do you ever 
Do you ever look at someone's life and, and, and do you ever um, find yourself uh, awakened in your own life by their example? Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, is I kind of mean that you, you, you filter your values, you filter your character, your lifestyle, your existence through kind of their lens, their experience, that what they did, how, how they responded. You kind of sit back and you go, if I was them, if I was in that situation, how would I respond? And it allows you to kind of in that reflection to go, maybe, maybe I need to figure out a little bit more of who I should be, a little bit more of, of, of how I should grow. Throughout, throughout my life, um, this has really been central to the way in which I try to better myself, the way in which I try and be better as a person, as a leader. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of people who, who buy self-help books. Um, and they may be on leadership, or they may be on, on getting better as a person, and they're usually written by people who purport to be able to tell you and to be able to tell me how I should be something or how I should do something. Um, but, but for me, the, 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 the self-help books have always been biographies of, of, of great or even good people. Uh, you know, it, it seems to me... I want people who, who don't just tell me how to be a good leader, but, but who, have, who have shown you how to be a good leader in the most difficult of times. And it really, really started for me when I was really young. I can remember the very first, the very first uh, book report I ever wrote was on the biography of, uh, of Teddy Roosevelt. And it's funny because I was probably at that time 9, 10 years of age. And I can remember to this day the impact that reading about his life had on me. I remember, I remember reading about how, as a young child, he, he, had, he was frail and he had health issues and, and how for him that, 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 that shaped who he was. And so he determined that he wanted to be better than what he was. And so he was going to work really hard. He was going to grow to become something. And, and, that, and that's what all the, the, Teddy, Teddy, uh, the Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Riders kind of thing was, was all about him becoming and overcoming the, his, his limitations when he was a kid. And I remember as an eight or nine-year-old, that impacted me, thinking, how do I respond in those moments? How, what would I do if I was in that place? And even from that point, then from then on, I was, like, I, I, I was consistently reading biographies of people that, that inspired me, that made me feel as though, what, what do I need in my life? What character issues do I need in my life? What, what lifestyle choices do I need to make to be able to become more than what I am today? I was a, when I was a uh, and some of you may, hopefully can forgive me for this, but when I was a kid, I was a, a Cowboys fan. Um, now, now remember, this was this was in the uh, this was in the 70s and 80s when the pack every Packer fan had a secondary team because we just didn't win anything. Those of you who are old enough, you know what I'm talking about. My secondary team was was the was the Cowboys, and the reason was because I read a biography once of Roger Staubach, and he was this man who was it was a Great, great quarterback, but he was a great man of God. I remember reading about his life and, and thinking about what it would be like to be in those circumstances and be through that. He, he served in Vietnam, and consistently he showed a faith in Christ and lived out his faith in Christ. As I got older, I, I found myself being gravitating more towards um, the lives of, of, of men and women of God. Um, reading, reading the biography of, of Nate Saint or, or Corey Ten Boom, or Martin Luther, or Jan Hughes. You look at these people's lives, and, and each one of them can challenge us in our thought processes as, as Christ followers. 
It challenges me in my, my skills as a leader. It challenges me in, in, in my determination as a believer. And really when I talk about this, it's an appropriate practice for believers to look at the lives of those who have come before them, who have served well. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. This, I think, is something that is we as believers look out and we say, these are people that I can be like. And for me, um, the far more honest the view of that person, the more impact it has, right? I'm far from perfect. And to know that, that some of these great Christ followers were far from perfect gives me the belief that I can honor God, that I can serve God and show God even in my brokenness. How many of you guys find inspiration in that reality? How many of you guys yourself feel as though you're not quite perfect enough to be used of God? When I look at the lives of people, they inspire me. When I look at the lives of Christ's followers, they inspire me. And each one of them challenges me in different ways. But in all sincerity... The life and death of Stephen challenges me possibly more deeply than all of them. And I I mean that not just in the light of of what we read today, not just in light of the series that we're in, but I can tell you over the years I've come back to the story of Stephen and it is deeply challenging in my own faith the life that he lived, the, the way in which he showed himself to be a follower of Christ. The series that we're in uh, is, is called Unstoppable. And as we've been going through it, it's centered around the examination of the example set by the first century church. This church that, that, that changed the world at its very foundations. We've talked about this in the past, how, how you, go, you go all the way back to Acts chapter 1 and 2, and there's this small group of people, a couple hundred people, the, the only people who truly believed in Christ that followed Jesus Christ. And from that, over the years, it has grown to billions of followers of Jesus that's how deeply they impacted the world, how deeply they changed the face of the world. And as a result of, of looking at them, we've, we've examined their, their attitudes and their actions and their attributes, what, what has created that community, what challenges us to be that community. Every step of the way, we've seen something in, in, in the way in which they've approached their faith. From the beginning, it talks about the unity that they had, that they were in one accord, that, they, that, that, that the implication of that is that they had one heart, one mind, one understanding, and nobody was about themselves. It talks about how they had devoted themselves constantly and stubbornly, constantly and, 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 and stubbornly to a life of prayer, given with one another. They were praying all constantly, and their hearts were given to that. We, we, we looked at how they, how they believed in Jesus Christ as the hope, how they were convinced that he was the only hope of the mankind. And, and so therefore, they were committed to sharing that in all circumstances, in all situations, no matter how much opposition they faced. And through all of these, we've seen individuals, whether Peter or John, or even in a certain way, Ananias, whose stories have provided challenges for us. But to this point, there is no biography that provides a better challenge, a better example 
and the biography recorded of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And it's not, as I said, just in this moment, but, but even as I, I remember as a teenager looking at the life of Stephen and thinking, my goodness, what a leader. What a, what a faith life. What a great man of God. Stephen really is this remarkable individual. Every description of him, from his, from, from his appointment as a deacon in the first part of chapter 6 to his violent death in, in the last part of chapter 7, reveals a man of God that is unmatched to this point and unsurpassed at any point in his Christ devotion. I mean, you're talking about a guy who... You're talking about a guy who was willing to give everything, everything he had for the purpose and the cause of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Think about the, the way in which he's described, the different steps that they have all throughout these two chapters. It starts with his willingness to meet the needs of the church. You go in in, in chapter 6, and, and Stephen was one of the deacons that was appointed. There's this entire, there's entire conflict that's taking place in the church, and there are widows who are not being served, and the apostles stand up and they say, listen, we, uh, it's not good that we're taken away from prayer. It's not good that we as, we as the teachers are, are taken away from the word of God. And so let's, let's, find, let's find men who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are full of wisdom, and let's appoint them to be servants. The, 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 the word there translated as deacon uh, uh, comes from diakonos, the Greek word, which really, really means a servant, someone who serves. And so here you have this, 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 this man of God, this, this Stephen, who surpasses almost anyone in the power of the use, the way in which God uses him in power, the way in which he changes, he changes the face of the church. And you know what he started out doing? A willingness to serve widows, to wait on tables. I mean, you just start from that perspective and you see this man who is so humbled, who is so willing to do whatever it takes. And then you walk through the rest of the story of his, of, 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 uh, of his life, this episode, this episode of his life and his relationship to the church and, and how, he is, and how he, he's preaching the word of God. He's going forward and, and declaring the word of God. And everywhere he goes, the power of God is moving on him. It says there were signs and wonders as he went forth. He was so impactful that, that, that he was challenged by those who wanted to challenge Christ. And they stood up to him. And he didn't back down. In spite of everything, in spite of, in spite of what had taken place, in spite of what had gone on from Christ being crucified to the apostles being thrown in prison, to the apostles being beaten, he didn't step down. He continued to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In spite of him knowing what could happen. And then it did happen, right? They got so angry with him. And they dragged him outside the city and they stoned him. And even in his death, he showed a devotion to Christ, a commitment to Christ. That many of us, in some of the easiest moments of our lives, probably can't replicate. It is really incredible when you look at the life that is described, that is owned by Stephen. But the biography doesn't stop there. The biography ultimately isn't enough. You see, like with so many other things that we see as we've gone through the book of Acts, 
It's not simply the actions that we have to look at, the response we have to look at. It goes so much deeper than that. You have to look at at the way in which he got to that place, the, 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 the attributes that allowed him to be that way. So often what we can do is we can look at what they did and not see how they got there. It's very much like the way in which we can, we can celebrate an athlete in their, in their, uh, in their accomplishments and, and say, we want to be like that, we want to be like that, but never really look at the amount of time that he or she has put into the training that they've done and emulating that to accomplish what they did. When you look at the life of Stephen, there's something really interesting about his, what, what lays behind the inspiring biography. There's this little phrase that shows up over and over again about the life of, of Stephen that explains why he responded the way he did. The phrase is, he was full of. Now I've had people say that about me, but it wasn't in the same context. It is he was full of. In chapter 6, verse 5, it says he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, it says he was full of grace and power. And again, in verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 55, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. So here's the description of, of who he was in, in, in doing what he did. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. He was full of grace. This really is a, 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 a remarkable description. But it's a, a necessary status if we are to be the men and women of God that emulate this type of biography. We can look at the biography, but unless we understand that person, you're never going to be able to live that out. Our failing isn't just in not doing what they do. The starting point of us not accomplishing that is not being what they are. The Greek word translated here four times in this morning's text, full of, is the Greek word play race, which means to be filled up, covered in every part, permeated with. Now think about this. The description, he was permeated with the Holy Spirit. He was permeated with faith. He was permeated with grace. He was was full up, completely covered in every part with the Spirit of God, with the grace of God, with the faith of God. This was the type of person he was. Every part of him was permeated with this nature, with with, with this status, with, with this place. I want to I stop and extend to you guys in this moment. And I want you to think about it. I want to extend to you guys this challenge. The description here is that he was in every part, in every place, permeated with the Holy Spirit. Full up with the grace of God. Completely and totally overcome by faith. How many of us um, compartmentalize our lives? How many of us are 
are comfortable, how many of us are okay with having a portion of our lives given to God? How many of us come to this point and we, we come to a certain point in our lives and we say, this is good, this is good faith, this is, this is a good walk, this is a good Christianity. And we don't quite allow him to take every corner of our lives, to, to permeate every, every part of our very being. Now, as I extend this challenge to you guys, I'm not just simply extending that challenge to you, I'm extending it to myself too. Because as I look at the lives that this man, the life that this man lived, I understand that his strength was found in that it was all about who he was. That he was gripped entirely by it, and every moment of his life was permeated with his heart for Christ. I've shared this before. Like when I was a kid, um, early, early on in in uh, in my studies as I was preparing for ministry, I came across the life of Jonathan Edwards. And as, I, and as I was looking at, at going into ministers, looking at this life of, of ministry, I remember reading the, the story of Jonathan Edwards and the life that he lived. And one of the things that really struck out, stuck out to me early on was, was it talks about how his life was entirely, entirely soaked in prayer. Um, he, he had this ministry that was unbelievable. Like They, they would talk about how he, he would go into early industrialized northeast um, the United States, and he'd walk into factories, and as he'd walk into the factories, he'd walk past the workers, and the Spirit of God would fall. He wouldn't say a word. The Spirit of God would fall on people, and they would begin to weep, and they begin to cry out and repent of their sins. Never said a word. So you're sitting here as somebody who's, studied, who's considering going into ministry, studying to go into ministry, and you go, wow, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like, that, that would be an incredible place to be at. So you study his life, and as I said, you discover that he, his life was soaked in prayer. One of the descriptions they had about him was how he would get up at 4.30 in the morning, and he would go into the woods, and he would pray. Every morning, 4.30, and he'd go and he'd spend two hours or so in the woods by himself, just him and Jesus in prayer. And I remember thinking, I need to be that guy. I need to be that, I need to be that devoted. I need to be that committed. Do you know how many times I've gotten up at 4.30 in the morning to pray? It's somewhere between zero and one, somewhere right in there. So when I say that, I'm telling you, it, it is, it, each one of us finds ourselves in this place and we go, is my life completely, is my life completely, is my life totally given to this idea of being soaked in who God is? Most likely it's not. And therefore, when we look at these lives, we've got to challenge ourselves and say, have I compartmentalized my faith? Have I, have I given it a kind of commitment? Have I given it a sort of given? Everything that we see manifested in Stephen was the result of his total participation in what we've studied thus far in the book of Acts about that church. Stephen didn't hold it back. Stephen engaged. Stephen gave all that he has and all that he was. Look at what we, look at what we read very early on in our series in Acts chapter 2 as it described the way the church was. It says, they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. When you look at the life of Stephen, you can tell that he was clearly devoted 
to, to, to this life. He was fully devoted to that understanding. He was clearly devoted to teaching. You go through and you read the sermon that he, that he preached in front of his accusers, and he understood the word of God. And not just that, he understood the teaching of the apostles, what Jesus Christ did, who Jesus Christ was. He delivered this message because he was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. He was clearly devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Right? What was he, what was he leading into this? What was he on our first introduction? He was a servant to widows. He literally was waiting on tables. He literally was breaking bread with his brothers and sisters in Christ, devoted to that, given to that. And he clearly was devoted to prayer as we see the Holy Spirit moving in him in powerful ways. The description was there as he went about, and he had many signs and wonders were done wherever he went as he prayed for others. If we desire... to be full of the Spirit, if we desire to be permeated with faith, if we desire to be covered in grace, the devotion to this life is what is required. We have to, in the same way as the first century church, was devoted to prayer, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the breaking of bread. That's how this takes root in you. That's how it becomes a part of you. That's how it permeates every corner of you. But I want you guys to understand something else about what it means to be filled, to be play race. For the believer, being full means that you're overflowing. You look at, you look at the life of uh, look at the life of Stephen. And the description is he was full of, of, of grace. He was full of the Spirit. He was full. But, but you, you, you read his biography, and it flowed out of him, didn't it? Being, being, full of this, being full as a believer is not being halfway full. It's not even being up to the brim. It means that it flows out into the lives of the people around you. People see it. It's evident. Filled for the believer means overflowing in their context. Filled for the believer means it flows to those they come in contact with. Being filled means it doesn't stay hidden. It means it doesn't stay bottled up. He touched the world. He touched the lives of people around them, and they were changed. And so as you look at your own life, as you look at the challenge that's been laid out before you by Stephen, how well do we do in these areas? I want us to emulate Stephen's life in that regard too. I want, us, I want us to be so full of the Spirit that it flows out. I want us to be so full of grace that it flows out. I want us to be so full of the power of God that others around go, there's something there, man. There's, there's something incredible there. So I want to just take a few moments to look at how it is we can emulate not just the life of Stephen, but the character that produced that life. The first descriptor of Stephen was that he was filled with faith. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. The first descriptor is a man full of faith, play race, permeated with faith. 
There is no question that his faith was revealed, that his faith was evident. Stephen trusted God. He trusted God. Above and beyond everything else, in in every circumstance, in every situation, he trusted God. That God would be his defender, that that God would be his protector, that God would be there for him. He was in this place in which he said, I trust Jesus. Dr. Jack Arnold says of Stephen, Stephen believed God and walked by faith. He trusted in the trustworthiness of God. He believed what God said in the Bible and obeyed the commands and principles of Scripture. He stepped out in faith and trusted God for the humanly impossible. He was willing to take the risk of living by faith. His faith overflowed and it was evident. He, he trusted God. He believed that God was at work, that, he, that, that, that God was faithful and that God would answer He wasn't concerned or worried about what people would do or what people would think or what people would say. He said, I believe in my God. And it it led him to stand up in moments that, that were difficult, that were challenging to say the very least. Because he knew that his God would answer. How does that compare to our own lives? How fearful are we of others? What they might think of us, what they might say about us, how they might judge us. How fearful are we about stepping out and obeying what God is calling us to do? It might not work out, it might be in this situation or that situation. How well do we emulate? How well do are we um, permeated with the faith in God. We have the challenge of overfilled faith before us in the life of Stephen. And it is only in a commitment to the permeation of faith in our lives will it overflow. Will it it really take hold? We have to be committed to that faith. But what is the commitment that brings that forth? I can sit here and I can say to you, you need to be committed to faith. You need to be committed to faith. You need to be committed to faith. But what is it that we have to be committed to to bring that faith to life in us, to to permeate our very existence? Let me complete Dr. Arnold's statement on Stephen. The reason Stephen was full of faith, he says, was because he was a man of the Bible. He knew the faithfulness of God, of the God of the Scriptures. If we want more faith, brethren, we must not beg, cry, and pray, Oh God, give me faith. No, we must sit down at our desk, study, and memorize the Word of God. Faith comes through the Bible. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, he says. And that he's referring to Romans 10, verse 17. Our faith grows as our knowledge of God's word and Christ's work grows. 
the more it is implanted in our spirit and in our hearts, the more we begin to understand the nature of who God is, His promises, the power that He has, the relationship He has with us, the more we understand what Christ did for us and in us, and the more we get that as a part of our spirit and a part of our soul, the more we can rise up and say, God's enough. God is faithful. God's going to do in my life. Earlier I said I wanted to stop and extend the challenge of being filled, every part permeated. And I asked, how much do we compartmentalize? How undercommitted are we to our status in Jesus Christ? Now think about it in the context of this. Our faith grows. It will overfill us as our commitment to God's word is enlivened. How do you do in that area? Now, I get it. I get it. Every one of us can struggle at times in, 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 in immersing ourselves in the Word of God. Is there anybody in this, wor- in this room who's not been in that place where they've said, man, this isn't really easy for me? And you've tried this way, and you've tried that way, and you've tried this way, and you've tried that way, and you, you've tried the chapter a day, the read through the Bible in a year. You, you, you've tried all these different ways to get there. I get it. I've been there too. But what I want you guys to understand is there are so many different ways in which you can proactively receive the Word of God. And and I'm saying this because you have to examine in your own heart and in your own lives how committed to, how devoted to this am I really? Do I really want this permeating every corner of my life? Do I really want to, to, to be soaked in the faith of God? There's opportunities for us uh, to devote ourselves to studying in a corporate setting. Like, like, like you come here and you sit and you, and you receive the Word of God. You receive the Word of God into your heart and into your lives. And are you committed to that coming in this moment and being devoted to it and being, and being engaged in it and, and, and saying, God, take the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, bring the Word of God into me. Or is Sunday just a thing you do on occasion? Or you see it as this thing to come to, but you don't realize it's the opportunity to absorb the Word of God into your spirit and into your heart and be and, and actively pursue it even in these moments. There's Wednesday nights where we come together for equip and we, we study the Word of God. I get it that sometimes for us, it's hard for, for us to have that self-discipline to lock ourselves in our room by ourselves and open up the book and read about things that happened thousands of years ago and talk about theology that we might not be able to wrap our brains around, and so we struggle with that. But you have the opportunity every Wednesday during, during the school year to come here and to engage in the Word of God and learn from the Word of God. Do you make that a priority? There's community groups where, 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 that are available to kind of go to and make that a part of your life. All I'm saying is there are different ways in which you can show your devotion to a hunger for the Word of God that brings into your life true faith. If we don't activate those, if we don't engage in those things, then we can't say we truly desire to have that, that faith permeate our existence and permeate our being. There's ways to study the Word of God on your own in which it doesn't have to be like reading a textbook where you sit and you look at just a few verses and you just you press into those few verses and you understand them. And if you did that for 15 minutes a day or 
12 minutes a day and you really took it and, 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 and you contemplated it and you, and you thought on it and you meditated on the Word of God throughout the day, it would permeate you and your faith would grow. You have to look at your life and say, am I devoted to this? Do I set the time aside to do that? It is important for us when we look at the lives of individuals who inspire us to say, how much am I devoted to being full up like he was? The second descriptor of Stephen that I think is really important for us to reflect on is that he was filled with the Spirit. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. It says in in verse 8 that that he was full of power, and and it says as he spoke, they, they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. And finally in chapter 7, verse 55, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Three different times in there it talks about him him being permeated with the Holy Spirit, overflowing with the Holy Spirit, just completely and totally inundated with the Holy Spirit. What a a description when you think of the implication of play race. Permeated, completely covered in the Holy Spirit. How many of you would want that to be descriptive of you? Just, I, I, you come in contact with someone and you just, the Spirit of God just permeates them. The Spirit of God just flows in them. The Spirit, they're so full of the Spirit of God. You can see it. You can sense it. You can feel it. You see it in, in, in their eyes. I mean, there's that description of him where, where as he's standing before them, they said his face looked like an angel's face. I'm telling you, it's the Spirit of God flowing through him. It's the Spirit of God emanating out of him. He was, he was permeated and he was completely covered in the Holy Spirit. This idea of the Spirit of God is, is, is such a beautiful truth. It is such, a, it is such a, a beautiful gift that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. There's this description throughout Scripture and it starts in the Old Testament. It's adopted quite a few times in the New Testament. And it talks about how we serve a living God. We serve a living God. And I want you to think about, I want to think, think about the distinction there. What, they're, what he's doing is they're drawing a line. They're drawing a difference between those who worship gods who are, who are stone. Those who worship gods that are, that, are, that are precious metal. Those who worship gods who are wood. That they carved out and they said, there's our God. Part of the reason why, part of the reason why there was there was a uh, there was a law against creating graven images of God was because they were saying, "Listen, that's not the way God is. He's alive. He's not created with our hands. He's alive and he's active and he's at work." Here's the reality, guys: the Spirit of God is God at work in our midst. The Holy Spirit is God at work in your heart and in your life and in your circumstances. We have been blessed with this, with, with this expression of God, with, this, with, this, with, with the attribute of God, with the Holy Spirit, which is God working in us and through us and for us in all times and all circumstances. We do not have to live 
separated from a living God because the living God lives in us through the Holy Spirit. This is what is so deeply beautiful about the relationship we have, about the the, the God that we serve. He is active and living in your life. And it just comes down to how committed we are to having Him alive in us. There are so many simple steps that we can take. And and there's so much about this. There's so much complexity to the way in which we serve God. I understand that. But I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's three simple steps that we need to ask ourselves whether or not we are taking them to draw the Spirit of God into us so that we can be full of the Spirit of God. First of all, something that very few of us ever do is you need to acknowledge the place. You need to acknowledge His place in your life. You, you need to be at this place and say, God's Spirit is alive and I want Him active in me. I want him a part of my life. I want I I I, I need him in, in my life. I need I need to acknowledge his role in my life. I need to acknowledge his place in my life. Francis Chan wrote this this great book, really challenging book a while ago, entitled Forgotten God. And the whole book is about how how so many Christians live with, without this understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that he's alive. That it is in the Holy Spirit that we find conviction. It's in the Holy Spirit that we can find leading. It's in the Holy Spirit that we can find a pathway. It's in the Holy Spirit that we can have the power. It's in the Holy Spirit that we're changed. We, we, we go about our lives with this very um, uh, very uh, dry, very, um, very rote, very, uh, very programmed Christianity. Instead of realizing every single day the Spirit of God can be speaking to your heart and leading you. I mean, I mean to the point where, where if, our, if we're listening, if we're, if we're, if we're in tune with the, with the Holy Spirit, if we're asking for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, where, where He's going to be able to speak to us and say, I want you to go and I want you to talk to that person over there and I want you to tell them this. I mean, this, I, I, I've seen this in the lives that happen in the lives of believers numerous times. I've, God's used me in that way to go to people and say, I don't know what, I don't know about, I don't know how this is going to play for you. I don't know if this makes sense to you, but God, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to tell you this. And all of a sudden they're just, people cry. People are like, how did you know that? Nobody knows this. How do you, because you're, the Holy Spirit is, is, is alive and wants to work and be engaged in your life. We need to be at this place where we acknowledge a place for him in our lives. Not to be satisfied with a rote, simple Christian faith. We need to set our hearts and our minds on the things of the Spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit I actually think that this is I actually think this is a an easy idea for us to comprehend sometimes you read things in scripture and they're, they're kind of complex and you're trying to figure them out you need you need your commentary you need somebody to translate you need all this stuff but I honestly think that 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 as you live your life and you read this it's actually fairly easy to translate when you set your mind on things of the flesh, what do you go towards? Things of the flesh. 
When you set your mind on things of the Spirit, what do you move towards? Things of the Spirit. And, 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 I, and I think for a lot of us, we need to simply start there. We need to simply say, Lord, what, what is good and proper that I should be thinking on? What is good and proper that I should be aiming for? What is good and right and glorious and beautiful and in your spirit? When we set our minds on the things of the flesh, we are drawn to the flesh. But when we set our minds on the things of the spirit, it says we will live in the spirit. We will walk in the spirit. By setting our minds on those things. How much do you devote of your week? How much do you devote of your day? How much do you devote of every hour to the things of the flesh? And how much do you devote to the things of the Spirit? It is very difficult to hear the Spirit of God when you're not focused on the Spirit of God. It's very difficult to be led by the Spirit of God when you're not focused on the things of the Spirit of God. And thirdly, you need to give room to the Spirit to move in you. And I think there's a twofold example of this in the book of Acts. First of all, what we see consistently from the moment in which Jesus Christ went to, went to the early disciples, went to the apostles and said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there for the Spirit of God to come. What did they do? They, they went and they, and, they, and they created space in their lives. They said, I want to rest. I want to spend time because I know that, the, that Jesus Christ has promised me that the helper will come, that the comforter will come, that the power of God will come. And then you see them over and 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 over again all throughout in which they withdraw from things and they spend time in prayer and they spend time quiet before the Lord seeking that the Holy Spirit would move in them. There's that great description earlier in the in the book that we've read, where 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 after they where after they were um, they were arrested, after they were beaten, they got together and they, they they gathered to pray and they said they said Holy Spirit, we just need you to give us the boldness to continue doing this, because we've got opposition and we're fearful and we're afraid. We need you to give us the boldness. And it says as they prayed for the boldness, the Spirit of God fell on them and they went forward and they preached in power. It is, it is making space and time in your life to simply say, Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. Holy Spirit, move in my life. Few of us take those quiet moments. Few of us take that time to allow the Holy Spirit to move. And I say it's second twofold because the next thing they always did was they went out and they acted in boldness. As they prayed for the Holy Spirit to move on them, they acted on what the Holy Spirit did in them. They were willing to stand and preach. They were willing to stand and challenge. They were willing to, to, to go and, and lay hands on people to see them healed, to, to lay hands on people to see them delivered, to speak and prophesy under the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given gifts to his people by the work of the Holy Spirit for the edification of the body. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be used in that way? Are we willing to lay down our lives and say, Holy Spirit, use me? Not because I'm special, but because you're amazing. Not because I have anything, but because you have everything. And finally, and possibly most strikingly, about the life of Stephen, is that he was filled with grace, it says. Verse 8 of chapter 6, describes Stephen as being full of grace. And I said this is most striking because we see the outflow of his grace 
in the last chapter of his life. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How? How? How how do you have this type of grace? How do you how do you have that? I mean, I I I have I have read this over and over and over again. In, oh, throughout my life, and I can tell you as I've looked at the emulation of Stephen's life and I come to this moment, I think, I can't. How do you do that? How do you find yourself in this place where you're preaching the truth of Jesus Christ, you're, you're trying to give people freedom, and they get so angry at your words that they drag you out and they're going to kill you, and, 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 and your last words are, God, don't hold this sin against them. You want to talk about full of grace. How do, you, how do you have that? How do you say that? We don't do well with this, do we? I read this and I try to put myself in this place and I simply can't. We, we struggle to release the slightest of slights. We struggle to let go of hurt feelings. We, we struggle to let go of mistreatment, even from the hands of brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is that? I would contend it's because we have not fully embraced the work of Christ for ourselves. I would contend it's because we have not, we have not, we have not fully engaged in the forgiveness and the grace that God has given us. Each of us in this place is a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, now we say that. We, we can say it easily. We can say it simply. But we are saved by the fact that Jesus Christ was willing to go to the cross and die because you're a sinner. Every single one of us is a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so when we have people slight us, when we have people do wrong to us, when we have people treat us poorly, how is it that we can't forgive? because I don't think we understand how deeply we've been forgiven. I don't think we've embraced deeply how we've been forgiven because as I look at this, I think Stephen understood the work of Christ. I think he understood what Christ was for and what Christ stood for and what Christ did for him. See, ultimately, as beneficial as it may be to examine the biographies of men and women of faith, as good as it may be to follow their examples, they all lead to the path of Christ. They all lead to the path of Jesus, to the way of Christ. I don't think it's coincidence that Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Christ. It is embracing his gospel life that we will most fully realize what he, what he has called us to be. I mean, you read what Stephen does here, and does it not look like it's simply mirroring the end of the life of Jesus himself? As he's being crucified, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as Stephen is standing there, and they're hurling rocks at him to kill him, what does he say? Father, don't hold this sin against them. What was the greatest motivation of Stephen's life? It was following the gospel path of Jesus himself. It is embracing his gospel life that we will most fully realize what he has called us to. See, when we, when we, when we, have, when we live a life of a sort of faith, when we, when we live a kind of Christianity, when we seek to be half full of the attributes of the Christian faith, it is not simply the example of others we reject, but it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we set aside. He has done so much for us and in us. And as we pursue Him, as we understand Him, may we yield ourselves completely so that He may be seen fully, so that we may be full of grace, so that we may be full of faith, so that we may be full of the Holy Spirit as we yield to the beauty and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace to us. I thank you, Lord, for the way in which you move, the way in which you touch us, in spite of our failing. Father, I pray that each person here, regardless of where they're at, regardless of of where they failed, regardless of where they fall short, I pray, Father, for the restoration by your Holy Spirit of their lives. That they would just fully give themselves to you. And that as we do that, Father, we will be full, full of your spirit, full of faith, full of grace, because we've given ourselves fully to you. Father, we worship you, we thank you. May each person go from this place with a deeper devotion to being full of you and all that they do. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.